All right, so in the seven minutes that are left, we're going to, uh, let's see if we can get a couple of things out of the book of Isaiah. We're going to jump right in here. So if you've got a Bible, you can uh, grab that. Definitely turn to chapter 40. I may grab just a couple things from in front of that. And uh, we're going to consider how the Lord spoke through Isaiah. This week, the, the main concept I'd like for the graduates who are in here, but also moms, uh, everybody. This actually applies to everybody. It's kind of nice. We're going to consider, first of all, you know, what is going on with the concept of justice? We're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask you this question right now, and I want you to mull it a little bit. Not one of the haircuts, but mull this over. Is our country a just country? Is our society justice-oriented? Now, you're probably doing some things in your mind right now to go, well, we talk about justice a lot. I agree with you. But I think we need to ask this, because here's the interesting thing. This is one of the great tensions that pulls in our entire understanding of, of knowing God as much as we can. God is equally, we sang a bunch about it today, especially in Revelation song, the holiness, the sacredness, the set-apartness. There's a sense of justice. We have so far heard from Jim a whole bunch of things that are hard to hear because they're, they are not good news on the sense of, oh, we should all just feel happy about each other and get along. That's not how this is written. These prophecies, prophecy works this way. It's almost, I like to use this analogy where it's like a, a boat out on the sea in big waves. And if you're on another boat looking for that boat, you can imagine that boat every now and then comes up on the peak of a wave and you see it, and then it goes down in a trough, or you go down in a trough, right? And every now and then these things peak up and they show up and then they go back down. That's how prophecy is written all the way through scripture. Nothing in a direct line that is all clear. It's things kind of pop up and go down, pop up and go down. And prophecy has said to us, you know what? God is equally just. He's about justice and about mercy. We're going to land in mercy because I want you to know that one of the most wonderful passages in all of the scripture is where we're going to land today. But before we get there, we have to consider the first 39 chapters. And it's a very interesting thing because we come along and then we hit chapter 36 and all of a sudden it stops being just prophecies that are written out in poetic form and prose form like that. It becomes a sense of, of narrative and it starts to tell the story of Hezekiah. Now I'm not going to take the time to read it. You get extra credit for your team if you go home and read that, by the way. Uh, 36 through 39 tells the story of Hezekiah. And is also told in other places in uh, Kings and Chronicles. And, and we hear this circumstance where God has been saying, okay, you have been robbing from me the years of Jubilee. You have been robbing from me in your attention. And now it is time for you to have to pay the piper, as it were. Justice says something's got to be done. Something has to be done. We can't just ignore it. In fact, Isaiah uses the term justice more than any other book in the Bible, and it uses it more than any... If you combine all the times justice shows up in the New Testament, it's not as often as what's in Isaiah by itself. Justice is a big theme that runs through. 
But comfort and the idea of mercy is a big theme as well. We are going to walk right on this tipping point today. We're going to go from one to the other. So I want us to consider justice. There's some standards for justice. God's been telling us all along in all these chapters that there are standards. One of the things we have to consider is who's responsible for what, <laughs> right? When, you, when I ask you about justice as a nation or justice as a culture, you start going in different places because you start categorizing. It's a very big concept. You can't just say, well, yes, justice is going on. You know better than that. At the same time, you would not say, well, there's no justice here at all. Because you start saying, well, wait, what, is, what do you mean by justice? Who's responsible for what? And second of all, you have to ask this question. This is really where we're going to get to here. What is the appropriate response, the retribution, the punishment that counts as justice? How do you define finally landing on justice? Let me throw a couple things at you. Trayvon Martin. Anybody recognize that name? Sanford, Florida. Michael Brown. Ferguson, Missouri. Eric Garner. I can't breathe. That's all I have to say to you. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Now what happened with justice in your mind? Isn't it interesting how all of a sudden you go into all these journeys of all these events that we've experiencing. This goes back to Rodney King. This goes back a long way. Rodney King, by the way, was 1992. Can you believe that was that long ago? Some of you don't even, you weren't even alive. I get that. But for those of us, that was, I mean, this is the same sense of what is justice all about? Now let me ask you about this. Tom Brady. Right? For some reason, it's important enough that we have spent umpteen bazillion dollars. The, the National Football League wrote an entire report, 286 pages, about how much air is in one of these. Can you, can you believe that? The Ray Rice issue, which was, we all saw the footage of that, him whacking his wife in the, in the elevator, right? 96 pages. They used 286 pages to talk about. And the conclusion they drew was Tom Brady was more probable than not that he knew what was going on. That was the conclusion. It's more probable than not. Now, here's what I'm going to, I'm not going to go into whatever happened with all of that. But I'm going to ask you this. What in the world is going on with justice? Because as a result of there being a couple pounds of pressure, more or less, in a football, there's discussion about literally throwing away everything Tom Brady has ever done in his entire career. There's a discussion about whether they should take away championships from whole teams that have hundreds of people in an organization. There's a discussion about whether we, his legacy is tarnished and he should not go into the Hall of Fame. Are you kidding me? And this is football. And this is rattling around in our culture. Now, I'm going to ask you, what's going to be justice 
in relationship to the amount of air that was in a football. What's going to be justice for Freddie Gray? It gets complicated, doesn't it? It is not as simple. In fact, the majority of you, I would bet, when you initially heard the question, are we a just society, are we a just culture, you probably said yes. And I ask you when we really consider, what does justice look like? I want to read you this quote, a great author. He actually teaches at uh, Trinity Divinity School. His name is Kevin Van Hooser. He wrote this about justice. The biblical theme of justice provides a standard and practice for the theological interpretation of Scripture. Have you ever thought of justice in relationship to how you interpret Scripture? Listen, it exhibits a contrast to modern post-enlightenment notions of justice, which focus on the power and freedom of autonomous subjects. We talked about justice for 45 minutes with high school last night. And we got down to this idea of individualism. Is it possible to be both in a place where there's freedom and a place where there's equality and justice? Is that even possible? Do you realize how bent we are as a world since the Enlightenment to decide that everybody individually has a right, a God-given right, to be free and also to experience justice. Do you realize how mutually exclusive those are? He also says it contrasts with conceptions under the umbrella of postmodernity that consider justice a matter of freedom from the tyranny of the majority. This is the second thing that has gone on. Stop and think about everything that motivated all of those activities in Baltimore, in Ferguson, everywhere. We're being oppressed by some majority somewhere. And in fact, that has been a, a ringing theme in postmodern thinking for 50 years. Whether focus on the liberty of individual rational thinkers or various oppressed constituencies, conceptions in modernity and postmodernity both contain primary commitments to the human subject. Have you realized how important it has become in our culture and in our society that I am the center of the universe? <laughs> we have put primary thinking on individual humans. Do you realize what that does, where, where that puts humans? That locates humans in the place of God. An aim toward understanding biblical justice in such a way that one hears from God and honors God in practice requires a perspective that places humans beneath the divine. Now, I guarantee you, you did not walk in here thinking, well, I think humans are more important than God. But when, we, when it comes to justice, we have literally placed humans above anything. 
our individual whatever we want, our rights, our freedoms, our whatever, those are more important than anything God had to do with anything. One of the benefits of studying a book like Isaiah is that we can look back and say, what does it mean that God provides and works in justice? I'm going to ask you to consider these three things. First of all, God judges rightly with justice, but not, not at all in line with popular fairness standards. We talked about this last night, and a number of the students said, well, I think God is fair. I said, well, what do you think that means? Well, it immediately goes to equality. Truth is, God is just, and he works on standards that he has in mind. And he had made it clear to Israel all years before Isaiah came on the scene. And as it played out, the truth was there was already the northern group, which was far more rich, far more populous, far more everything else, had already been swallowed up by Assyria. And the Assyrians are on the doorstep in the Hezekiah story. And they're knocking on the door and they're literally going, excuse me, they're literally going to set up a siege of Jerusalem and try to take it. And Hezekiah goes to God and he he prays in humility and he prays in repentance. He prays the way Daniel prayed in chapter 9 of Daniel. Even though Daniel, as far as we know, was responsible for none of the evil Israel had ever done. And he prays on behalf of Israel and says, God, we were wrong. Your standard is what justice is about, not what we want to do. They had, in fact, for years, decades, centuries, been deciding, well, God has this set up to where we have these jubilee years that show up every 50. And we're supposed to not grow anything. We're supposed to not make any money. We're supposed to not, you know... uh, benefit and, and have profits that year, and they, jubilee after jubilee after jubilee, we have no evidence that Israel ever observed one jubilee year in their entire history, none, because they got to that point, and they're like, there's a whole year worth of profits to be made here, are you kidding me? We're not skipping out on that. Maybe God was confused. God had the standard set. God had the standard of Sabbath, he had the standard of kosher, he had the stand, all the standards of obeying and, and worshiping and giving devotion to him rather than to the nations, gods around them. And instead, they chased after everything else. The second thing, God judges appropriately to the circumstance, not to popular lynch mob standards. If they literally did some of the behaviors that you hear discussed in our popular media in different cases based on these different circumstances, there is, it, justice is out the window. It's all about just like rage or something. It is no different. We think we're different. It is no different than the witch hunts in Salem, the way that we behave the way that we think this is how justice has got to be. And we try to, this is what fascinates me, is we try to trump it up based on the 
loss of this person because they were such a wonderful and great person. That's not even the point. The point is this, if life is lost, that is a person who is a, bore the image of God and life for life is legitimate, but not burning down cities, not gangs rampaging. God behaves appropriately to the circumstance. And God judges to, here's the beautiful thing, God judges to restore, not to exact revenge. Did you hear that? All I hear right now from our culture, from our society, is a sense of revenge. Somebody needs to pay for this. Whatever it takes. By no stretch of the imagination am I trying to justify bad behavior. No chance. But overreaction the other way based on we've got to get revenge somehow. Something needs to make up for this. There's where we literally, we go beyond God in our definition of justice at that point. Because that's not what God is doing. All of these chapters that have told us all these stories, and Hezekiah's story as it plays out, where Sennacherib, the great king of Assyria, is waiting on the doorstep and mocking him and so forth. And God says, and Hezekiah goes to God and says, I throw myself at your mercy. You do what you want to do, but we are here to worship you. We have torn down the high places. We're here to worship you. And God forestalls the behavior for almost 150 years until the punishment is exacted. You read the story. It's all carved on walls, by the way, in Nineveh, in Sennacherib's home city. They came down to set up with tens of thousands of soldiers. We don't know how big the army was. And the story is told that they all went to sleep one night, and then the way the Bible says it is, they all woke up dead the next day, which doesn't make sense. But that's what the way the... I love that verbiage. They all woke up dead. Well, what happens is the whole army literally dies in their sleep. Sennacherib tucks his tail between his legs, goes back home, writes on the walls, I had Hezekiah, this is literally the phrase on the walls, trapped like a bird in a cage, which he did, but unlike every other city ever that Sennacherib encountered. He went back home after that. He was worshiping in his idol-oriented temple, and a couple guys that were his trusted allies broke in and assassinated him, and it changed everything. Actually, that was start, the starting downward direction of the Assyrian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire starts to rise as a result of that. And God knew what was going on. And here's the verbiage that God uses. Not, I got my vengeance. Not, I got, see, you guys get what you deserve. This is what justice really looks like. Instead, he says this. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for her sin. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain will be made low and the rough ground level 
rugged places, a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. The men are like grass. The grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He'll not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. If you want to know, graduates going into a world where there's a lot of talk about social justice and justice in general, if you want to understand what real justice is about, this is the culture. God's culture is, it's absolutely right based on the arrangement. His standard. It is appropriate to what is necessary happening. You don't stone a child for taking a piece of bread. And most importantly, it is about restoration. It brings comfort. It brings hope. If you can go from here, go into your world, and bring that kind of culture to this world that is postmodern in its thinking, that is individualistic, that has not even got a tenable model. They can't even work it out. That's the culture that God has for you to bring. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the fact that you spoke through Isaiah. Thank you that those stories, the narrative of uh, Hezekiah is there so that we can hear how you astoundingly worked in that way. And at the same time, in Hezekiah's prayers, he acknowledged that, God, your disasters, your struggles, your difficulties affected him in a very powerful way, came from you, and were also part of the plan, all the difficulties. So I ask that you would uh, move into the lives of our young people as they move out from here. I also ask that you would give those of us who stay and the parents who are here, parents in other places, courage and strength to pray for and to speak about real justice and real mercy at the same time the way that you did. Um, may they pray that into the lives of their young people. May they uh, speak that in truth and in advice and may they be part of that motion towards the final culmination that uh, is how we are to be oriented as Christians. We thank you, God, for your word to us, your love for us. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.